It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today, and I am joined by Spanners Ready to break down everything, or maybe the very little, I should say, that happened in the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Sergio Perez takes the win and also the sprint race win to take seven points from Max Verstappen's championship lead. Verstappen came in second after losing out on a safety car pit stop. Charles Leclerc takes third in his first podium of the season. To round out the rest of the top 10, we've got Fernando Alonso in fourth, uh, Carlos Sainz in fifth, Lewis Hamilton sixth, Lance Stroll seventh, George Russell eighth, Lando Norris ninth, and Yugi Sonoda tenth. A little bit of a dull race outside of some uh, last lap pit lane dramatics, which we can get into all of that. But Spanners, what did we learn from this race? And was it just the true pace of the Red Bull? I learned from this race that, I, that I'm increasingly, I think, becoming alone in not finding a race like that particularly boring. I want to hmm. highlight some things that I found really fascinating that are, I think are part of the core fabric of what makes F1 great. But I do understand that I'm a generation apart and perhaps a continent apart from sporting expectations. So, you know, in the UK for us, you know, you go 90 minutes, you watch a football match. There's not a single goal and you go, cool, nil, nil. Let's get a beer and some chips and call that <laughs> Sunday. And, that, and that's fine. What I would hope, as I know I'm losing the battle against the, the sprint races, which were actually mm -hmm. broadly entertaining sessions, that perhaps the people who, who want, you know, things compacted down to 40 minutes and whose enjoyment of the race is dictated by the amount of overtakes and that kind of wheel-to-wheel -wheel action, which is perfectly valid. Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of satisfied a little bit on, on the Saturday. Whereas to me, this Baku Grand Prix, 
with the expectation of what I expect from a Baku or a Singapore, this kind of met my expectations for a Grand Prix. And I, and I think there was lots of exciting stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, delighted that I get the chance to talk to you about it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think for me, it was just difficult to watch this coming after a a three week break where, you know, we want to see all of the overtakes Four in the world week. now. Four week. Four week. And the fact that the last race we saw was Australia, which was one of the more chaotic results we've had in a number of years. So c- comparison is uh, is is tough mm. in this instance, I will say. What did I tell you, though? Baku needs a well-timed crash. It needs a well-timed safety car to make it exciting. And when that doesn't happen, you get a race kind of like today. And today, the safety car came about nearly exactly around the cutoff point for for whether you were going to pit off the mediums or not, which in and of itself made it interesting because... You know, half the field had, had pitted before, half mm-hmm. the field got a very cheap pit stop and it rotated the order around the front and it put Lewis Hamilton back down as, as one of yes. the, the quicker cars in that pack as well. So we got to see him coming and fighting through. But Baku's always been like this. If you take away that giant long straight, what is it, 85 kilometers straight and, you know, a big DRS zone, which they cut back on today, which didn't actually help with the, the general lack of overtaking mm-hmm. and, and created a lot of trains. You take that long track straight away, and this track sits somewhere between Hungaro Ring and Monaco for for overtaking opportunities. So if we're going to race at street tracks, if we're going to race at tracks like Singapore and Baku, you you have to go into it with a certain expectation. The problem is now, the expectation is always, there will be constant action from (laughs) Friday to Sunday, and you will be thrilled! Let's uh, let's talk about that safety car just a little bit because it had a, a very direct impact on who won this race and how they won it. So Nick DeVries clips the wall, has a little turn, gets caught out on track for, I don't want to even say half a lap, but for a number of seconds, it was sort of unclear whether we're going to get a safety car, whether he's going to be able to kind of right the ship. Um, turns out that I, I believe the front left wheel had kind of broken off um, in some way. So the car was undrivable. But during that uncertainty, Red Bull brings Max Verstappen in for a pit stop. Eventually, we get the safety car, Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc. I believe both pit under that. So they come out one, two. Max ends up third. And Checo, you know, is out flying in front. Max is unable to catch him. What did you think from seeing the full pace of? Max and Checo once Max eventually gets past Charles and the two are kind of battling each other for for really like the first time I think yeah. that we've seen all season fully out in front the whole race. You've put your you've put your your finger on it there. That I think we did see them at their full pace, which is something that we won't necessarily see if um if Verstappen's ahead or if mm-hmm. Perez is in the pack. You know, right. same with the hybrid era, early hybrid era Mercedes. When when Rosberg and Hamilton were were fighting. And there was a, a, a battle between them. Suddenly, they unlocked the pace, and you go, "Oh, <laughs> that, that's how that's how weird quick how they that were. works." <laughs> yeah, and they really did pull away from Leclerc quite quickly. And um, yes, first of all, you know, this is my first thing that I thought was a fascinating battle that I think was missed on the particular broadcast I was watching was when you have a, a battle out front that is not necessarily going to have any overtakes, but you are you are battling in the timing screens. So you're looking at your mm-hmm. relative positions lap by lap, and having to make decisions about whether you are pushing to the very edge of adhesion for your ultimate lap time, whether you are 
dancing on the edge of tyre saving, which is no less of a skill, mm-hmm. and then trying to dictate that around what your opponent is doing. DRS gives a great tactical element because you then have to manage that to stay out of that DRS zone. So Verstappen, that whole time that he was behind Perez, would have been looking to see, can I catch? And there would have been times where he had been sitting there going, right, can I, for now, save my tyres or manage graining or make mm-hmm. sure that I'm not overheating my tyres? And, and then suddenly go, right, will, will I increase the pace and will that be sustainable? Can Perez respond? And this is why I always encourage people to do a bit of any kind of, of, of racing. Steering a car, doing sim racing, and I hope you'll let me in a minute talk about how people can come sim racing with me. Um, but a lot of the times, the battles is in your, in your timing box. And, and it takes just as much skill to be on the, on the edge of your tyre wear and the edge of what will overheat the tyres as it is to ultimately go fast. So I think it was a really fascinating battle between the two of them. And before the safety car, we saw something which we don't normally see, which was Sergio Perez really chewing up Max Verstappen. Yes. As Verstappen's rears were starting to go and you go, oh, hang on a minute. It, I can't think of a time since they've mm-hmm. been teammates where Perez has been the one hunting Verstappen down on pace and overtaking. But that was real. That was happening today. Yeah. There were a number of interesting kind of tidbits throughout the broadcast. I, I think Checo did a fantastic job with his tire saving today. Fantastic job managing the pace. They had put up a graphic a little over halfway through the race, I believe, that had highlighted the parts of the track where Checo had the advantage versus Max. And it was all of those slow corners, all of those tricky street circuity elements where Checo thrives, where he had the advantage. And it was really the main straightaways where you get, you know, those kind of slipstreams and those advantages where Max was out in front. So, I mean, this track totally played into Checo's hands, which is not to take anything away from the how he drove today. I believe they said this was his fifth street circuit win for Checo. So he, you know, obviously loves these tracks a lot. And it, it was just really fascinating. I think at one point they were both lapping about a second faster than the rest of the field. Checo finished over 21 seconds ahead of Charles Leclerc. And it was it was just like a very dominant performance from him. It, it was, and it's, the safety car almost robbed us of a chance to see if Perez would be able to to catch and mm-hmm. overtake. And so, one of the key things to look about look at, at when there's this dance between the two drivers, where you know one's pushing and then the other responds. One thing to look out for is is the length of the gap. So, for example, today you saw Perez at around one point two seconds. So, the gap where if you got any closer you start to have tyre wear issues because of the mm-hmm. dirty air, seemed to be about 1.2 seconds. Anywhere inside of that, you got dirty air. So in that first stint, you could look down the pack and you could see there was an awful lot of people between 1.2 and 1.6 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that felt like a choice. So you had Perez there in that gap and you think, hmm, he could go faster. If he went faster, Verstappen would probably respond. But towards the end of that first stint, Perez did go faster and Max couldn't respond. And that's when you want to see that that battle. That was Perez stalking. And we don't know how much further into the race Perez would have gone on those mediums. He could have done a big overcut simply by being able to maintain that pace for longer. So I think in many ways, the safety car may have spared Max's blushes a little bit today because I don't think he'd have taken that well if um, if Perez had come in five laps later and then he had five lap fresher hards mm-hmm. and was able to stalk and hunt down and overtake again. That obviously would have looked a lot better for Sergio Perez, whereas now Max can say, 
well, the safety car is the thing that made it swap. I think the safety car might have saved him. And that's not to say that he's not a fantastic driver. But frankly, Max Verstappen wasn't very Max Verstappen-y all weekend anyway. So I, I think Perez had him covered. And, and I think the safety car probably just robbed us a little bit. It was the wrong timing for a Baku safety car. Yeah, and a lot of interesting strategy discussion around what re- the choices Red Bull made on the safety car. I I really liked. Um, I don't. Do you have Bernie Collins on on your broadcast with Sky Sports? Yes. Um, I thought she was wonderful today, and I know we got a lot more strategy talk in this race than probably we normally do since we had a lack of other action on track. But they had asked her what is Red Bull thinking when they're pitting Max? And she was the one who kind of explained that maybe they weren't sure if they were going to get a safety car and wanted to make sure that they brought him in rather than risking sending him out on another lap and missing that pit window. And I thought she was great there. But yeah, just just a lot of interesting discussions on what what the best choice is, you know, with Tyre Dag and all of that today. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a pattern in how these safety cars come out now, which is they seem to go for that double wave yellow for immediate safety, which is great. But the amount of times those incidents turn into safety cars is is increasingly, it's more likely that it's going to become a safety car. So it's it, in a way, it's a bizarre decision because the only way that can have worked out is if De Vries drove off or mm-hmm. if it became a safety car immediately. So really, there didn't seem to me that there would be a lot of risk going around again. And when they pitted, I was looking at the, at the screen saying, well, I must have missed something because he's pitting now whilst cars are essentially on most of the track still going around quickly. And if that turns into a safety car, he's going to lose out. And sure enough, mm-hmm. obviously he lost out, Hamilton lost out, and, um, and a few others did as well. But that's me with my armchair strategist head on. <laughs> I would have definitely done it. I would have definitely done it better. Last bit I have on Checo, and this was just a, a very, very minor thing, but late in the race, he made contact with the wall at turn 15 Based on the radio message that we saw on Sky Sports, it seemed like his engineer had to bring it up to him and ask him what had happened there. Um, Checo came on and was like, yeah, you know, just made contact. No big deal. Everything is fine. Um, And they flipped it over to Bernie Collins and had asked her, you know, when you're at Aston Martin, are, are you expecting the driver to fill you in on this or are you asking them? And she she tried to give kind of a diplomatic <laughs> answer and say, oh, you know, Baku is one of those tracks where we, we would really like all the information we can get offered up from these drivers. And uh, it made me wonder if Checo's a bit uh, distrustful, perhaps, of the, no. the strategies that what Red Bull was deploying today. And if he didn't want uh, any reason to give them give them cause to worry, I guess. I, yeah, I, I was thinking if anyone's got access to Perez's radio or could you put up a sign in the stand saying under no circumstances should you pit it is definitely <laughs> it's definitely a trap just keep going you know with just arrows pointing past the pit lane so uh-huh. I, I don't think there's that kind of distrust I think I think still Max Verstappen is Christian Horner's nominated champion sure. and the post-race messages were kind of like don't worry Max it's a long season you'll get him <laughs> he all but said don't worry you're still going to win the championship um, don't have a, a Mardi strop about it. And mm-hmm. uh, and then it was a bit more muted. It always seems a bit more muted in the Red Bull yeah. garage when Perez wins for whatever reason. So I don't think there's something where he's at odds. I think it's more he hit the wall and then the car feels okay. And then, you know, it's like a kid when the, the sound, there was a sound of a smash in the corner and they're like, Checo, what? <laughs> What's going on down there? Nothing. Everything's <laughs> fine. I really, I think it was more like that. 
I, I hope so. I hope so. Checo is now just six points behind Max in the driver's standings after he won the sprint race as well. Stone. Next closest is Fernando Alonso, who is 27 points back of Checo. So, you know, it seems like we are going to be in a race to the finish between these two. And it's going to be very, very exciting to see what ends up happening. All the strategy decisions involved, all of the different strengths and weaknesses at the different tracks that we have coming up. It's going to be kind of fascinating. Yeah. And Miami's coming up next. We've got another yes. kind of street circuit. And, you know, we discussed, is the Sergio Perez king of the streets thing a myth? And I say, no, it's a it's legend. Not. It's a <laughs> legend. It's on. It's on. I think the championship's still on for now. It's still on. I think so too. Um, after the race, Max didn't really seem to question the Pit decision seemed pretty resigned to that, but something he was not resigned to was the sprint race result, which I, I think we should uh, get into that Ooh, a little spicy. bit as well as as well as the format as a whole. Let's see if it really worked for you. But unquestionably, I think the most fascinating thing that came out of this was uh, the George Russell, Max Verstappen beef that we now have. So first lap of the sprint race. George makes contact with Max going into turn two. Hole gets torn in the side of Verstappen's car, which affects him the rest of the sprint race. They came close again at turn three when Max makes contact with the wall. All in all, to me, seemed like general racing incidents. Nothing seemed particularly malicious to me. Excuse me. Um, Max ends up getting back in front of George after a safety car restart, though he can't, you know, obviously catch Charles Leclerc or Checo with a hole in the side of his car. But after the race, he wanders up to George quite aggressively, complains about his driving, calls him a dickhead, and basically threatens that the next time he should expect the same type of driving from Max. Hmm. They don't really have a history of beef. I think they had asked Max this after the race saying, you know, do you guys have any sort of bad blood? And he was like, nope, this is pretty much the first time. Um, I think the thing I was most surprised about was that he was still this mad about it 17 laps um, yeah. oh. later. Do you have the team radio on going on uh, when you when you listen to sessions or you watch sessions? So I had the, 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 the team radio on from the F1 live timing, which is which mm -hmm. is really great. And you have to kind of teach yourself to not get distracted about it. For example, sure. during the race today, for the first half, it was nearly exclusively Haas uh, on the team radio talking to you know, through Hulkenberg's strategy and and Magnussen. So if you can kind of tune that out and, and and only kind of listen in, and you have to learn to know the the team engineers' voices as well, so you can go, oh no, mm -hmm. that's Alpine. I, I, that, that that's significant at the moment, and it's not going to sure. be it's not going to be Alfa Romeo going. Should we just park it? Yeah, yeah, we probably should. So that can be quite interesting. He did not take that well. And it was sustained. It really was mm. a sustained rant against George Russell saying he needs to give up that place. It was unfair. How can you have contact like that and then and then not have to give up the place? And then his engineers were kind of feeding it. So when Verstappen got the overtake back, his engineers were there going, yeah, Angie managed to do it without contact. And they're like, I, I yeah. did see that. I did see that. So they're like really winding each other up. And then by the time he gets to the, the podium, Look, this is athletes. They're allowed to have their hearts pumping and stuff. And, and, you know, you get these immediate reactions. However, as someone who's watched F1 for a, for a long time and, and tracked reactions to, to driver, driver rants and stuff, you know, Lewis Hamilton, for example, gets treated very harshly when he's like, hey, guys, I'm not sure that we did exactly the right call. And that is called <laughs> like a he, he rages at team will be the headline in the, uh -huh. the broadsheet newspapers. So look, Verstappen's 
behavior afterwards was an extreme end of what we yes. see. You know, uh, to to front up to, to George Russell, call him what you said. Very naughty <laughs> word to say out loud. I can't say that. Kids are in the background. <laughs> um, but then basically threaten retaliation mm-hmm. by saying next time I will also hit you with my race car like you hit me with my <laughs> race car, but I will do it on purpose. And then for Christian Horner, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Red Bull, Bull fans, I'm, I'm just counting. These, these are just things that happened. Mm-hmm. Says to the, the bro- broadcast team, it's a good job George Russell kept his helmet on, or it was wise for George Russell to keep his helmet on, brackets, Yikes. because of the impending threat of violence. At some point, you have to go, where's, where's bringing the sport into disrepute? Where's the <laughs> line? Where, where is the line? I don't know where the line is, but I was like, I was a bit taken aback. But in context of the other things Verstappen has said, if I was a Verstappen fan, I'd be a little bit worried. The whole press junket circuit has been about, I don't know if F1 is a good life. I don't know how much I'm going to stay in it. I don't know if I'll stay here if they mess with the format. After the sprint qualifying, he said I was bored during the sprint qualifying because I just had one and I I didn't want to qualify first anyway. And I, I would just be a little bit concerned about why it's being so negative. And then on a weekend when... Uh, when the when uh, he also he's not performing particularly well outperformed by his teammate. In my experience, when someone's been like that at work, when their character changes, that's because something else is going on in in the background. So let's hope it's just something you know temporary that you know he's just his cat scratched him and uh, he's fallen out with his cat, uh, and that he'll be back on you know form from a psychological and sporting point of view in Miami. Yeah, I. I had not been monitoring the full team radio, so it is interesting that his uh, engineers were allowing him to dwell on that so much during the sprint race. They did try, yeah, a bit. My initial thought was that, because he climbed out of the car and immediately goes and looks at the side and sees the hole. So for me, I was wondering whether it was kind of a visceral reaction to seeing just, you know, how much damage there was and whether that had kind of, you know, peeved him off a little bit, but... He, he sort of doubled down on it after in the interviews post sprint race, they had asked him, you know, like, do you regret calling him that? And he was like, I meant it in the heat of the moment, <laughs> which is not something you would normally expect someone to it, say. No. And you have to um, admire, he, he does wear his heart on his mouth as much as does. any any driver. Um, so what we're sort of asking, I guess, is was his anger justified from a racing point of view? That's worth mm-hmm. looking at. And I think racing incident, I think that wouldn't be entirely unfair. Although I do like, I think it's more fun to try and blame someone. Uh, Ooh, so okay. Alex, Alex Brundle, for example, I, I will borrow some of his uh, uh, intelligence by quoting one of his tweets. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, you know, and this is a you know, 10 times Le Mans driver, podium sitter. For me, Russell has a limited apologizing to do there. I can see why Max is miffed. But roles reversed, I can't see Max giving up the inside or breaking any earlier than George Russell did. See, the key thing for me is that the the rule this year has been if you're alongside at the apex you're entitled to room and of course you can argue exactly where the apex was right. and in both of those incidents i think where one where they had contact and one where hit max hit the wall they were both ahead at various points in and around the apex so i think george russell was entitled to be there on a 90 degree corner on a street circuit the car on the outside is really super vulnerable and mm-hmm. max verstappen's driving style in those situations is to squeeze tight yes. onto the inside. So yes. you you could he, he did leave Russell enough room at the apex to be at the apex. He didn't leave Russell enough room to get even a tiny thing wrong. So he definitely, you know, came put himself in a vulnerable position. And in that particular incident where he got the hole, there was a point where he was behind and he decided to 
come off the brakes, carry more speed, hang on around the outside. And mm-hmm. that contact didn't occur squeezed up against the wall. It occurred, you know, in the middle of the track on the way to the apex. So that was incredibly close, tight racing. And in a way, you kind of, you like at Silverstone 2021, both drivers consented to there potentially being an accident yes. by, by their actions. So, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Um, and I think the outcome is probably worse than the, the, the net of what they did. You know, it's unlucky to put a hole in the Red Bull. But George mm-hmm. Russell can now say that even for a fraction of a second, he was in a Red Bull. <laughs> Dream come true for George, I'm yep, sure. I'm sure. Um, I, want, I want to talk about the sprint race overall because this is the first time that we're seeing this new format. First time that we're only getting one practice session on a weekend, which, you know, hampered some drivers. Certainly Carlos Sainz had difficulty with that this weekend. And we can talk about him in a second. I think overall I left this most curious to see this format chosen to happen at Baku because this is a circuit with a high potential for safety cars, crashes, which, you know, we got. Doesn't really seem primed to have such a short race where we have, you know, a significant number of laps taken out with with crashes and and safety cars and slow driving. So something I'm interested to look at going forward and how they pick the tracks where they deploy these sprint races. Upcoming, we have... Austria, Spa, Qatar, Circuit of the Americas, and Brazil, I think are the last five sprint races. So some of those feel a lot better suited to this format to me. But what did you think overall of of the first time we're seeing this? Uh, what, this overall format? I, I guess the, it's a progression from, like we said in the preview show, that the, the, the Saturday no longer took away from the Sunday. So I'm happy mm-hmm. with that. That, yeah. didn't, that didn't diminish my Grand Prix. So my Grand Prix on a Sunday is preserved. And, you know, my son couldn't watch the qualifying on Friday mm-hmm. so because he's at school. And I'm sure a lot of F1 fans around the world were at school and work when they wouldn't ordinarily be. Mm-hmm. If you look at the sprint on a Saturday, how did it go? It was fine. And there was a red flag that took away an awful lot. Maybe the rule should be, because the fuel tanks are big enough in F1. Maybe you say for the sprint race after the safety car, you're allowed to carry on a bit and I, d- I don't know I don't know what the rule yeah. how, how technically you could go okay you can use a little bit more fuel mm-hmm. if we're under safety car and let's just extend the race so that we're not losing out on the sprint because yeah. 17 laps turned into 12 laps mm-hmm. which is potentially could make it a bit of a dud and it was probably saved a little bit by the by the Ferrari around Russell and Verstappen mm-hmm. uh, so yeah B- Baku seems like a weird place to do it it's going to work a lot better if you do it at tracks like you know, Silverstone, Circuit of the Americas. Uh, but fundamentally, Formula One hasn't evolved and isn't suited to a, a short, one-stint, 17-lap race. You don't see what is special about Formula One in those sprint races. You don't see the hustle and the, the, the barging for position, the, the battle between how much of a gap can I pull and how much tyres do I need for a two-hour Grand Prix. That kind of strategy, which admittedly didn't pop, didn't ping today as a spectacle, but that's what makes Formula One special. Not this, not a sprint, one stint, one tyre set, which inevitably, as normal, you know, will settle down after the first lap. And generally the sprint races have been an exciting few laps and then everyone twiddling their thumbs a bit. So it's a no from me still, but I'm trying okay. not to be grumpy about it. But at least you could, just, you could just enjoy that. If you enjoy that on a Saturday, Saturday's your day. I can have Friday and Sunday. I agree. I agree with you in that... I actually, I was surprised to find that I was glad to see that divorced 
from <laughs> yes. Friday and Sunday. Because I, you know, we talked about it earlier this week and I was felt like it would make it lose some sort of tension if it wasn't related to the actual race results. But, you know, watching them race for, you know, eight points for the winner, decreasing by one after that, I thought that was fascinating. Good for somebody like Sergio Perez to get two extra points over his rival on the weekend. That was pretty fun. So I, I think six feels like the right number to me right now. I think more than that, I, I would start to lose the thread of these sprint races a bit. But we'll be curious to see this happen on tracks that are better suited to it. And hopefully we get some some more exciting action on those going forward. One person who had a very good sprint result and a good race result is Charles Leclerc. Ferrari had a... Uh, a much more positive weekend overall, I think, than I was expecting. Charles got pole position on Friday, second in the sprint race on Saturday, third in the actual race. Um, I think we knew he was never going to match Red Bull full on in race pace. Um, only outdid Verstappen in the sprint because, as we already said, Verstappen had a giant hole in the side of his car. But Didn't help. <laughs> but he got his first podium for Ferrari this season, which I think is a big deal. And I think this team needed a bit of good news after a very rough first month. Um, some news breaking over the last week that they were losing uh, one of their top guys to Alpha Tauri this this year. Fred Vasseur's comments that he basically didn't know that that was happening until he saw the press release Ouch. today uh, or this week. So it was it was just a really rough week for them, and I, I was glad to see Charles do as well as he did. Yeah, and he's, I mean, this is a, the track that he absolutely loves. And what we're kind of celebrating here is that they didn't make any strategy errors and no one crashed into a wall and they delivered what they could. But it must be super frustrating for Ferrari because you have a fast race car. If you can qualify on pole, you have mm -hmm. a really fast race car. So mm -hmm. it must be frustrating to know that that isn't going to translate into the race. And that is very similar to Mercedes 2013, who I think collected most of the poles but then for whatever reason, they just, you know, dropped like a stone. And I've been trying to pick it apart with people more technical than me. But yeah, they. this is further proof, really, that in modern F1, qualifying isn't the be-all and end-all. You know, in the 90s, you used to look at qualifying and go, ah. Oh. But now, it, it kind of, it could be anything. So from Friday to Sunday, you're going, well, Ferrari could have overall pace, or it could even be the team that qualified fifth, sixth, and seventh. They could have the overall surprising race pace. But of course, then we had the sprint race that, that kind of made us go, oh, no, no, this is, this is the, the, uh, an exacerbation of a Ferrari trait to be really strong in qualifying, but not have the race pace. And I, I think they, if they could give up a bit of qualifying performance to, to be able to manage stuff better in the race, they would. But I, I think they just don't know where that's coming from. Um, and it does, does definitely seem to be a tyre wear problem. Fernando mm -hmm. Alonso post-race said, Ferrari got lucky because uh, if the hard tyre hadn't have lasted as long, Ferrari were going to really struggle with degradation and they would have fallen back. And we saw that with signs a little bit more. They were telling mm -hmm. signs to push to try and stay ahead of, of Hamilton. And I think signs was saved by the difference in top, top end speed. The Mercedes just couldn't get that overtake. But Hamilton was, was faster than signs for sure. So that's where Ferrari seemed to be struggling. And I think yeah, there's, there's no sign that that's going to get any better immediately. But it does bring us on to just a quick diversion of mm -hmm. one of the reasons why this race didn't pop. Uh, and, and that's because Pirelli, even with the softest available compounds of tyres, 
I think everyone was surprised how well the tyres survived. So Definitely. no one ran, no one ran the hard tyres in FP1, only one practice session. And this is a rant I want to rant about. We're going to need, <laughs> we're going to need Thursday practices if you want to do this sprint format, because mm-hmm. the drivers weren't ready, especially the rookies. De Vries had a nightmare. Gasly, my goodness. I thought Gasly was just going to go home at one point during the weekend. <laughs> Seemed like I, he I, maybe should have. <laughs> maybe he did. I think, I think he should have done. I want to normalize just if you're having a bad day at work, just go home. You're not helping <laughs> just, anyone. Just go home. And uh, there was there was a few other guys really struggling from and, and suffering from that lack of, of practice. Haas had a fault that over the course of a normal weekend, yeah, you can sit and you can work through electronic faults and gremlins like that. Mm-hmm. Very difficult to do in one one practice session. So I can see it. Thursday practices coming to a sprint weekend near you soon. Uh, so yeah, but um, yeah, Ferrari must be very frustrated and they are, they're running one car because look at the gap today between Leclerc and Sainz. That is looking terminal for Sainz. Ferrari have a, a history of this. They, they nominate a driver and, and for a time, there might have been a toss up. Who is our driver? Who's our, who's our star? Sainz or Leclerc? Now it's clear. Leclerc is the nominated one. We had that as well between Vettel and Leclerc, where mm-hmm. they were very even for a bit. You know, Vettel had just come off the back of really throwing away a couple of chances at championships with them. And then all of a sudden, like a, well, like, like a, a switch had been flipped, Vettel's pace was nowhere compared to Leclerc. So th- this is what Ferrari do. And, I, and I, I, it feels like, to me, Sainz has no way back. I hope I'm wrong, like Carlos Sainz, but that is the that is the syndrome that happens at Ferrari. If you get yourself into a massa position, a, a Raikkonen position, a, a Rubikello, a, a, a Rubens Barrichello, or Eddie Irvine position, or a Carlos Sainz position, Oof. it's hard to get it's hard to get back <laughs> in Ferrari in that situation. And I don't think that is offensive to the driver. That's just how the politics work. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Poor Carlos. He was so dejected all weekend. He had a tough performance in, in honestly every leg of the weekend. You know, he, he ended up finishing fifth, which is perfectly respectable, but qualifying wasn't great. Sprint race wasn't great. Actual race wasn't great. He admitted on Saturday that he was in damage limitation mode this weekend, which is not a place you ever want to be. I think mentally, if you're a Formula One driver where you're you're not pushing forward, you're basically just trying to fend off collapse. He had this really sad quote where he said, at this point, knowing what the pace is this weekend, it's more a damage limitation weekend for me. I'm really struggling out there with confidence, always feeling really on the limit of the rear axle. And it's not a nice feeling to have around Baku. So he almost seemed like he was driving, not not scared, but not obviously not confidently, as he even said. That's just not a place that you want to be driving a Formula One car, as he said, definitely not around Baku, where you know, there's potential for accidents and crashes and wall touches around most corners. Just, yeah, not a horrendous result, but but really, really tough from him mentally, I think. Can I do, do my cheeky plug if I pretend that it's a segue into what you asked? Yeah. Maybe he needs a little bit more practice on a sim endurance event <laughs> where you can race with Spanners, Bradley Philpott and some more of the Missed Apex crew. Uh, Meg has kindly let me plug that we are looking for teams and entries for our 24-hour race on the 27th of May. Racing around Le Mans is going to be fully broadcast. So uh, it's, not, it's, not, um, it's not often that you can get on these kind of YouTube televised things without being at the elite but we're welcoming drivers from every category to race with us for 24 hours on iRacing with the LMP Hypercar, the LMP2, and a fleet of GTE cars. Get in touch with me, spannersready at gmail.com. Thank you. Sorry, Meg. Thank you. <laughs> You're good. You're good. What What do you think about Carlos going forward, though? Is, is there a way out of this for him? Is it, is no. it just really a matter of more time in the car, more adjustments, more tinkering? It, you know, Charles said after the race today, they have more upgrades coming in Miami that he's hopeful will continue to push the car forward it's just over for him is that what you think can, can i can i be that negative i'm really sorry yeah. i'm going to be negative yeah. unless leclerc leaves then yes for, for this phase it's over if he rides it out until leclerc goes to mercedes which everyone's saying now then someone else comes in and then he's got another opportunity to claim the number one prize but for now no it's leclerc it's sad I, sorry I feel bad you for look him. disappointed i don't want to be negative I'm not disappointed in you. I'm 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 merely, you know, trying to feel a little empathy for poor Carlos. Yeah, you just got to look at the history of how teammate dynamics of Ferrari have, have always gone. Yeah. It it's just sad. I, I hate to see anyone kind of publicly going through it in the way that he is going through it. And I know he is, you know, a Formula One driver and he'll be fine, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just sad to see people that dejected. I don't know. He's, he's like he's like crying through tears and like you know fifty euro notes wiping away his tears and like <laughs> stuffing it back into his mattress. Yeah, he's all right. Listen, you can be disappointed even if you're rich, Spanners. Um, I, I, I don't know that. I, know. I don't know that firsthand. <laughs> I would love to know that firsthand, but uh, that's where we are. You wanted to talk about Lewis a little bit. I think you are a bit more positive on his performance yeah. from this weekend than I am. But what what did you see that impressed you? He finished yeah, I suppose sixth. 
Sixth. And on, on the surface, well, that's not good. And Alonso finished ahead, so that's not good. And he couldn't mm-hmm. overtake signs, so that's not good. And <laughs> what, so why am I so upbeat? Why, why am I positive? Yeah, why? Um, why? I don't know. I, there's, there's a vibe. He definitely felt happier. He definitely was talking okay. up you know, the the car and he wasn't complaining in the same way as he complains when he's just not connected to the car. They have definitely made a change and a step to yes. that car. It will be disguised slightly by the very long straight in Baku, which, uh, you know, everyone's reporting that it's still quite a draggy car, which is mm-hmm. not always the end of the world. You know, 2013, the Red Bull was one of the, the, was certainly not the quickest car in a straight line at all. Set itself up purely for lap time. But everywhere else, that car was was looking good and it was competitive. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton pushing, uh, racing very positively, keeping himself uh, out of trouble a couple of times. I think on both the sprint and the race starts, he was surprised how close he was to signs in turn one mm-hmm. and actually had to dip out. And both times, Alonso was ready to pounce. So in the sprint race, Alonso got him. In the uh, In the main race, in the real race, if I may say that, <laughs> he was really aggressive on the defense down to turn two. Just, just really shutting the door because uh, Alonso only had the front wing alongside. And Hamilton, I was just delighted to see this, really had him pinned up against the inside, which is saying, okay, you can make that move, but if you make a move from there and we're pinned up against the inside wall, we are both getting a one-way ticket to the exit wall. <laughs> Alonso, being a very good, experienced racer, realizes it's not on. They both go to the outside. Loved, see- loved seeing a fighting Lewis Hamilton like that, you know, not you could concede that place. You know, other drivers, different times, you could concede that place to Alonso and it would have been a perfectly valid survive race tactic thing to do. Then he gets really not the rub of the green at all. It, it's a shame that he pitted. It feels like they mm-hmm. were working through graining. So at the end of that first yes. pit stop, at, the, at, that, at that stint, he started to struggle with the rears and Alonso from the car behind was saying, I think I see graining. So if you don't know what, what graining is, just like very quickly, you know, you're relying on the tyre to be flat and sticky to stick to the ground. When bits of rubber start bobbling up on top, it makes it harder to get to that flat surface because you've basically got essentially like sand, rubber sand pebbles on the top. Um, but that is something that you can work through and, and they can just pull away and you can work through a graining phase. So it looked like maybe Mercedes gave up on that graining phase a bit early mm-hmm. and, and went, right, we're going to go for a two-stop. And at that time, no one realized that the hards were going to go the full race distance. Then comes the safety car. But even before the safety car, that strategy put him out behind about four or five other cars, slower cars. So unless Mm -hmm. they were just about to pit as well, he was going to lose an awful lot of time. So the safety car comes out and he took his lumps from the safety car gods because he's used to it now. Of course, there's a safety car. And of course, it didn't benefit my particular (laughs) tactic. Puts Russell up ahead of him. Now, Russell. Looked really good in the sprint race. Uh, looked Actually looked nowhere until the very end of one of the qualifyings. I've lost track of them. So, so Russell, not a mug in any way, totally humbled by Lewis Hamilton's pace after the safety car. And, and to see Lewis Hamilton you know, take that much of a pace advantage and then be gone out of the DRS zone before they looped back again, I think it kind of reinforces where those two are relative to each other, which is that Hamilton's performance has been quite peaky in 2022 mm-hmm. and 2023. So peaks and troughs, whereas whereas Russell has been quite ruthlessly consistent. Yes. And I, I still think, I think Hamilton's peaks are higher than Russell's peaks. 
And uh, and I think this race is kind of a, a demonstration of that. And generally, if you look at the races, what I said, what's there, 24, no, 20, 23 races this year? Mm-hmm. I'm happy to take the bet that there'll be four or five of those races where, where Russell is the fastest on race pace. Um, but Hamilton has needed to bring that consistency and bring that fire. And they felt like there was fire today. So to me, as a Lewis Hamilton fan and as a Mercedes fan, that was encouraging from a performance point of view. And I think you take that long straight away today and, and Mercedes are, are a lot more competitive. Of course, that long straight did exist. So it's kind of mute in that way. But you go, <laughs> is this Mercedes car going to be good around Barcelona, Silverstone, Hungaro Ring, Imola? You go, yeah, okay, that's starting to look, it's starting to look positive. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the moment, their main aim was to overtake you know, uh, Alonso. And you, and, and you could probably say Alonso got a little bit lucky as well. Although I am surprised that they've come back from the spring break still as competitive and pushing as hard as, as they are. And I think, I think Aston Martin had an absolutely fantastic weekend as well. I, I was going to say, Fernando was the vet I, I was most impressed with this weekend. Not, you know, he, he missed out on his fourth consecutive podium, but he made up really significant time to Leclerc at the end of the race. And I know, like you said, Leclerc's tires, tire dag on Ferrari is, is a significant hindrance to them right now. And those tires were starting to go off at the end, but he finished within a second of Charles Leclerc at the end. And while they're yeah. coming back down that main straight toward the checkered flag, it looked like he was maybe going to give him a run for his money, which was really fascinating. He was also calling out a bunch of strategy decisions over the radio today. Like you said, with the the graining from Lewis, he seemed to spot that pretty early on. I think at one point he had asked his engineer how many laps were left when there were about 14. And that was when he really made his push on Charles. I think he was like four seconds behind and, Managed to make up a ton of time. Um, he offered up some advice for his teammate Lance oh, Stroll man. on uh, brake balance, and then really just uh, you know try, tried to help out the team on that one. Which uh, my theory on that is because he doesn't see Lance as a true threat. So, so sure, why not give him a few extra points and help him set up his brake balance? But yeah, just just kind of a, a typical Fernando weekend, I guess, where he he played everything really smart, seemed to look at the fields from all angles and, and understand what was going on both in front of him and behind him. Well, of course, they had their new tactic uh, for this race, which was the Aston Martin drum circle. I don't know if you spotted that before no, the race. I didn't. They were all gathered around. Yeah, no, no, honestly. They were all gathered around in the garage and they were all taking turns. Oh, they were chanting, oh, as they go around to the next person. And they have a talking stick as everyone's saying, oh, we will share strategies. We will not fight each other. And it, they, look, it really does seem like a loving at Aston Martin. They're very pleased with themselves and they should be. The car's great. They're not doing anything outrageous. You know, they're not making any mm-hmm. mistakes. They're solid. And things like Lance Stroll, who's, you've got to say, like, he's qualified less well than Fernando yes. Alonso. He's made a good start, so good for him, and he has a reputation for making good starts. However, you know, obviously it's easier to have good starts if you're further back, but he does. He's got the greatest stats for overtakes on lap one or whatever. Yeah, are we, are we always, celebrating moral victories? Yeah, no, that's what we're because he's because he's starting further back generally. So yeah, obviously right, you're right. going to have more of a chance to to make if, up if places. If Max started eighth consistently, he'd probably he would have, have the exactly, exactly the best. But but look, Lance Stroll is. I would say, you know, my opinion on Lance Stroll now is he's he's elevated himself to the level sure. of of broadly fine, and I I think he is an employable F one driver, you know, but not in that top echelon. High praise so like for, for him to kind of come up behind Fernando Alonso, who's brilliant by the way, and just be like, I'm not going to fight Alonso. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, darn right you're not. That would be the dumbest thing ever to fight Alonso, who is in a track that's really hard to overtake, basically stuck in a train, and you're going to come up to the back of that train and stick your oar in for him to kind of go, no, I'm not going to challenge. Yeah, I of course loved- you're not. I loved when the engineers came on and told Fernando, and and I don't know if I had this exactly right, but I'm pretty sure he said something along the lines of, well, he can try it if he wants, but like Lewis is up <laughs> in front of me and I don't know where he's going to go. Uh, yeah, that could be more sinister, couldn't it? Well, he yeah. can try if he wants. He can try it I, if he wants. He, just sounded, he sounded fully unbothered when he said it, though. It wasn't even like a menacing thing. He was like, yeah, sure. I mean, give it a go if you want to. But. I actually took that more as uh, uh, I'm not being obstructive. Like he's, he's more than yeah, welcome yeah. to try, uh, but I, I don't think. I'm not going to box yeah. him out, but yeah, no. it, it was it was very funny. I, I did. I did love the I, I found some tell Lance. I found some brilliant. I found a brilliant train set and he can play with it. And if he really likes it, we can share it. I'll have it on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays and alternating Sundays. Um, Yeah, but it was all very sweet. So I hope that what is coming out of there, the positive vibes that are coming out of Aston Martin, which is a team that has generally not secured my fandom, Mm -hmm. I hope those vibes are real and correct and that makes them more likable. And I like them a little more after this weekend. Last thing I want to hit, and and this was at the very, very end of the race, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it because it seems like they're still investigating exactly what happened, but both Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon pitted very late because they went out on hard tires and their strategy seemed to be to wait and hope for a safety car to get a little pit at the end, and that didn't work out for either of them. So Hulkenberg pits with a couple laps to go, and then we're waiting on Esteban Ocon on the very last lap. For whatever reason, Formula One released photographers and media members into the pit lane during the final lap to set up for when the top three finishers came through. And Esteban Ocon had not yet pitted at this point. So he is coming down the pit lane. And I don't know if you've watched his onboard from this, but it's yeah. it's terrifying. Um, yep. Comes down the pit lane and there are people standing in the pit lane. And luckily, they realize it in time. He realizes it in time. You can see him slow down very significantly from what would be a normal pace going into the pit lane and you see people kind of flying out of his way to get through there um mm. very scary sight and there was a lot of tension on the broadcast when they're realizing that there are people in there and he still hasn't pitted yet just a very scary moment overall some you know i've seen some tweets about this uh from luke smith that the stewards have summoned quote fia representatives in themselves. to discuss what happened yeah which is uh not great when you have to summon yourself in to, to talk about this but uh yeah, re- really, really scary footage overall. So that was a very dangerous situation. To trivialize it completely, uh, you were <laughs> saying you saw Ocon slowing down a lot. Because it, it seemed like it from his uh, just from his onboard. Yeah, so I looked on the onboard and I didn't quite get that impression. Like I'm sure I'm sure mm. he obviously must have slowed down, but it kind of still looked like he was trying to make progress to sure. his pit stop. So I, I I kind of felt like he was looking at them going, Yeah, you're in the pit lane, but that's kind of a you problem. I I still have my pit. <laughs> stop to make you know it's not like he slammed the anchors on no, uh, no 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 horrendous so that's that's because this is kind of a an odd strategy so i can kind of forgive everyone in a in a way it's completely unacceptable but they were trying to get the winner coming over the start line how mm-hmm. often does it happen that a car that's not lapped and therefore still is going to do the full race distance exactly happens to be a few seconds ahead on track about to be lapped but can still legitimately take the pit stop 
and then be lapped while he's in the pit lane and therefore finish the race legally having mm-hmm. made the obligatory pit stop. He's like, I think, I think that's what happened. That that is such a niche thing that that I can see why everybody was was caught out. But there's surely someone who who releases those people. And and the person who released those people is completely at fault. And that was terrible. Um, I think to, to talk about the, the strategy just for a second, if that's okay, like yeah. the Hulkenberg mm-hmm. strategy, I I don't get what they were doing. Because on paper, you go out on the alternate tire, so the prime tire. Mm-hmm. They used to call it in the olden days. I'm 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 aging myself. <laughs> and the idea is you suffer with the slow tire for a bit, but you're not pitting. You hang on for the tire wear as soon as you can, and then you pit onto the 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 option, the softer tire, and then and then you hopefully like gobble up some people because right. you're on much fresh tires of a, a stickier, better compound. And and then in that time that other people have pitted and you haven't, if there's a safety car, you get a cheap pit stop. Mm-hmm. But looking at the timing screens, even when they were waiting for this optimal strategy, Hulkenberg would have pitted even under a safety car from 10th to about 16th and 17th of the mm. 18 cars running. So at no point was that strategy <laughs> ever going to get them anywhere near the points or even anywhere above where they would have expected to be. And I could only think, like, is this for the sponsors? Because we saw a Haas in tenth place for a long part of the race, but mm. it was never it was never going to work. Um, and it's interesting. I'm trying to think of the last time, really, in F1, that that kind of alternate strategy of starting on a harder tire has paid off. Because there's so many downsides. You've got less sticky tires off the grid. You are um, you're heavier on fuel, so the length of time that you can kind of overcut is is decreased. And uh, I, just, I don't know. It just feels like uh, I'd love a strategy expert to to email in. But I don't can't think of the last time that, that that really worked. They were in no man's land for the whole race, but it looked good. So maybe that was part of it. Yeah, it was uh, not a great day for Haas, not a great day for some other teams, Alfa Romeo, to, uh, to, no, uh, no. to name one, uh, Alpine to name another. Um, oh, yeah, Alpine? I, I mean, you mean the team that's going to be racing alongside Mercedes before we know it? Isn't that, <laughs> wasn't that the claim? It seemed like it, but uh, that has not been the case. Horrible weekend for Pierre Gasly. Tough, tough ending for Esteban Ocon. I'm, I'm certainly glad that nobody was hurt on this pit lane deal, and we'll be curious to see what ends up coming out of this, what news we get from that. But yeah, just uh, a very, very strange situation on that last lap. Were there any other teams you wanted to talk about? Anything that we didn't hit already? Well, I think you know there was a, a few kind of mentioned in dispatches, Piastri looking decent against Lando Norris, even though he reportedly, he had a stomach bug, according to yes. Mark Webber, and he's been really struggling with that. He's lost loads of weight. So if you've lost loads of weight from an illness, that I can't help like the parent point of view. So like, I have a boy called Oscar as well. And I'd be going, Oscar, I don't think it's a good idea for you to race in the race car race today because you're clearly like you're on and off the toilet. You're not feeling well. I... I don't even see that as like a badge of honor. It's kind of this, you know, that masculinity thing as well. I was losing it from both ends and I'm just, I'm sweating and I've got 100% fit and I still got in an F1 car. I think that's silly. Just take the weekend off. There's 23 race weekends. Just chill. I also think it's silly, but also if he has lost that much weight, is that what Advantage. helped his race pace? Ad- yeah, let's get I him onto know. the weigh bridge. Let's get him onto <laughs> might, the weigh bridge. Might and as well also, give it a try. I'm trying to lose some weight for a karting event. So if I could have whatever that bug is, that'd <laughs> be cool. You could just fly over and, and give that yeah. to Spanners. That would be great. I just great. need three times as bad, though, is what I need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, solid from him. Another solid weekend from Alex Albon, who I feel like has been a very, very underrated character so far this season. Mm. He's been getting absolutely everything that he can out of the Williams, and, and I found yeah. his performance this weekend very impressive overall. So this track has been a good differentiator, I think, if you look up and down the teammate battles. So Lo- Logan mm-hmm. Sargent, as a as a rookie, get really struggled here, as yes. did as did DeFries. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Albon, who is an, a very experienced Grand Prix driver, very much not his first Baku rodeo. And and he, he did he did really well. He looks good on track. And then the whole weekend as well, just seemed to have a big smile on his face. And, and yeah. just, you know, really talking very positively about that car. And and actually very much being a team leader in a team, which is something we've not seen Albon necessarily mm-hmm. do in his career. But now he's stepping up and saying, you know, this is my team. And he's almost talking like like the management, you know, not an add-on. He's the senior sure. driver driving that team forward. And I don't know how far Project New Williams is going to go. But again, you know, there's a positivity there and they seem to be working to go forward. I think in the next couple of years, you'd have to bet on them to jump whatever Sauber becomes next, Haas mm-hmm. um, and an Alpha Tauri, whatever their fate is as well. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive weekend from him. Ha- always happy to see him happy. Always great when Alex Albon is smiley on the grid. Um, I think that's all I got. Anything else you wanted to mention? I oh uh, yeah, I think just the fact that can we have uh, races a little bit more into the afternoon so that we can have them with a with a pint followed by dinner and then and then a nap. As that's someone all. who had to as someone who had to wake up at five thirty a.m. for this one, I <laughs> I will second your motion and uh, let's hope it carries. It's so funny for you Americans. F one is a coffee sport. And for, it is. It uh, is. for us in Europe, it's a it's a beer and wine spot. Ooh, what a difference that makes. Um, thank you, Spanners, for joining us. Thanks, as always, to Erica Cervantes for the production help. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back very soon for Miami. So get excited for that. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.